Hey y'all, I'm Reese and welcome to Making Meaning. Making Meaning is here to guide you along your path to make meaning in a way that makes sense for you. This week, I am joined by Robin Von Schwarz. Robin is an author and a life coach, as well as one of my mother's dearest friends. Robin is one of the most interesting and energetically rich people I've ever met. And those are words that I have never used to describe someone, but that is truly just the best way to describe being in her presence. She just brings such thoughtfulness to her interactions, and I think that really comes through in our conversation. She's the author of the book Thresholds, 75 Stories About How Changing Your Perspective Can Change Your Life. Like I said, she's also a life coach and has really spent most of her time recently hanging out with her grandkids and her family. I did want to offer a content warning for this week's episode. Both suicide and opioid addiction are briefly mentioned. We don't go into detail or dwell on those topics long, but if hearing about them may be upsetting to you, you may want to hold off on this episode. I really hope you all enjoy this week's episode. Like I said, Robin is just so rich when it comes to her experiences and really open in terms of sharing a lot of those things. And I hope that y'all enjoy this as much as I enjoyed having this conversation. With all of that being said, let's take a deep breath. And get started. Robin, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and do this and welcoming me into your lovely home. It really is. I've never been inside the condos before and I'm loving that I'm getting to see it and (laughs) getting to spend this time with you today. So thank you for your generosity of time and the energy that takes to do this. I'm very happy that you asked me. This is great. Thank you. So I am just going to start with asking you what's something you're grateful for today, whatever that means to you. I'm grateful that when my grandson fell down my stairs yesterday, <laughs> that he did not have a brain bleed, or and he did not break his neck. And I've always told my children that um, life is tough. I mean, yeah, that's actually the definition of life: having having problems that we have to resolve, mm. and that we are very lucky if we can fix our problems. Yeah. And so every day as I go through life, if I'm able to continue to problem solve and and work through things. And then be grateful for every single thing that goes really well, like right. yesterday. And then that's that's where my gratitude stems from. from. It's every day recognizing those things that um, I'm able to handle. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, in that way, how do you ensure that you're thinking about gratitude? Do you have like a daily gratitude practice, or is it more of just like a general? In the back of your mind, I think you develop an awareness. Mm. Um, I used to be kind of a health and life coach, mm-hmm. and I've worked with a lot of people who have had problems. And the more that you study, and the more that you work with people, and the more that you understand um, 
yourself and right. what you've gone through and how you respond to things, I think you build an awareness that you just kind of walk through life being aware of the lake that's outside the window mm-hmm. and how thankful I am for that or that I have food today or that, yeah. you know, I think that I'm really aware of those things as they're happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, that brings me a lot of peace, uh, actually. I love that. I think that that's really on point, that when you have that gratitude, it does bring that sense of peace. Um, so to kind of kick us off beyond gratitude, mm-hmm. I would love if you could share your story, whatever that means for you. Okay. First off, um, when I was very young, I became responsible for my younger brother and sister. From mm. the time I was seven on, I, I raised them. Um, my mom had a lot of emotional problems. I'm very proud of her right now. She is a missionary in Kenya. Oh, wow. At almost 80 years old I was about and to still say. really living her life fully. And um, But it was a struggle when we were younger. And sure. then I went into the military and I met my husband when I was stationed on a remote island up in Alaska. And um, we moved back to Texas and started having children. And I had a son and a daughter who both had some mental health issues mm-hmm. when they were teenagers. And... It just seems like I've had a lot of things that I've needed to work through with my kids. And Mm. interestingly enough, from the time I was like 18 years old, I've always loved the brain. Interesting. And I started studying and reading about the brain when I was a firefighter in the Air Force. And uh, so when these things came to me and they went through some mental health issues, I had already been reading about the brain for a long time. And I figured out ways to help them you know I had with my daughter who had severe OCD I took her to many many doctors and they all gave me a very negative prognosis Mm. and I just decided we're not going to go to any more doctors and I read cognitive behavioral therapy books and I basically started going against her on everything because when you if you have OCD and I'm not talking about somebody who has to have everything neat and tidy all the time right I'm talking about severe OCD that alters your life. Right. The clinical and, obsessive. Yes. Yes. I mean, at one point I couldn't touch my daughter. I right. couldn't, you know, she wouldn't eat the food that we had because it was contaminated. Everything was very difficult for her. And she actually wrote about that in my book. In the book. Yes. And she got better, you know, and I learned a lot. And so then my, my son, my oldest son, he lost a friend. Mm. Um, when he right the day before I took him to college he buried his friend and he just kind of took a a downturn he was very depressed he was not able to grieve understandably that's and really um, and unbeknownst to me because he was 18 he went to a doctor who gave him an addictive drug a benzodiazepine Mm. called Xanax and that was not a good thing for him right and so he went through a lot of trauma as well. It sure. was basically six years of, of trauma with that. Yeah. And um, my kids are my heroes because both of them are great today. Mm. And they beat it. But I continued. I, I went on to become a brain health coach. And, and I think that's what we do. Whatever we go through in life, that's kind of my story. You know, yeah. then you want to, you gain knowledge. And then you can use that knowledge to help other people. And then you can kind of reflect back and see the reason maybe why you went through something yes, and you can see that it makes 
it made me stronger. It made my kids stronger. It gave right. them, it gave them compassion and understanding mm. for other people. Um, so if you can look at your problems that way, if you can yeah. look at it as an opportunity for growth and learning, and to find a deeper compassion, c- compassionate heart inside of you for other people, yeah. then, then whatever our story is, it can be used that way. Yeah. So, and I think it started for me as a young girl, the responsibility that I had. You know, I sure. never backed down from a problem. Yeah. And so when they gave up on my daughter and told me to institutionalize her, I just said, yeah, no. And yeah. she went on to get married. She got her degree. She was a high school math teacher. She's now homeschooling four boys. Wow. And she's doing great. There so. you go. I love that. And I think that so many hardships that we deal with really do give us the skill set to give back, right? Yeah. It's like you have to go through certain things to be able to then pour into other people. Yes. That's exactly. really powerful. And as a kid myself, I think it's really awesome that you also have the mindset to still be able to learn from your kiddos. I think that's really beautiful and lovely. Oh, yeah, I, took, I saw them take a hold of what they were going through and turn it around. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm very, very thankful for them and proud of them. That's amazing. So where do you think your initial interest in the brain came from? It, what, is it more of a neuroscience, psychology? Uh, more neuroscience. Okay. Um, yeah, I would have loved to have studied the brain. I'm not sure I would have wanted to be a surgeon because I've watched some operations and I don't know if I could do the saw part. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Understandably. But I love the rest of it. I love understanding why people think the way that they think or Mm. respond the way that they respond. And, um, I don't know. I've just had a natural interest in it. I used to have a little book called, it was just called the brain. It was a little green paperback book that I carried around with me for four years in the Air Force and read over and over again. Right. Yeah. There you go. And then one of my other questions for you is going to be what made you decide to go into military work? Because I think that's a very brave decision, but not one that people make lightly and not an easy decision either. I was young and didn't give it too much thought. Yeah. I, you know, my parents couldn't afford to help me go to college. Mm. Um, I actually was helping my mom support my younger brother and sister. And I left home my senior year of high school to become a resident of California so that I could go to college with my then high school boyfriend that lived in California. Anyway. And so from there, I moved back to Louisiana, and then I moved to Illinois to live with my aunt. And then my aunt, her husband got transferred, like, right when I got there. I was, I had signed up to go to college and take night classes and she was going to at least I had a place to live right and um, when she moved I had to quit my night classes and then Mm. I worked two full-time jobs I worked at a holiday inn as a hostess from five to two and then I worked in a nursing home from three to eleven and if you do that for three months you have to start asking yourself how do I get out of this kind of trap that I'm in and I still didn't have a place to live I was running a room oh my gosh so, not having ever known anyone in the military, right? I went to the nearest uh, place to sign up and took a test. And I had already been trained as a firefighter. Okay. My senior year of high school in California, I trained with the California Division of Forestry for about nine months. Wow. 
So when I went into the military, it was natural for them to put me in that division. Fire science, yeah. Right, there you go. And what was that experience like? Were you more, how, in what capacity? What did your day-to-day look like while you were in the military? Well, in the fire department, we worked 24 on and 24 off. Okay. And so I was at work a lot, Mm -hmm. either getting off work or going to work. And um, we had a hangar on the flight line because Mm. we did structural firefighting, but we also did crash and rescue. So we had the aircraft and all of the bombs and stuff, you know, out in in the runway area. Mm -hmm. And so we were in the fire department. We did our chores. We checked our trucks out. We maintained them. We... A um, lot of practicing, yeah. but, you know, we were always on call, and we had a great fire department with two big, huge brass poles. Yeah. Three stories high. <laughs> I'm sure. Wow. <laughs> but uh, I loved it. I loved, I loved the military, um, but m- even more, I loved the fire department because there was so much um, camaraderie. Mm. You know, I felt like I had all of these brothers, and you're going, everyone was going through the same experience. Nobody yeah. had any more money than anyone. I mean, because most of the people who went into the military didn't have parents with money, you know, right. so we were all kind of in the same place. Yeah. We are all away from home. We are all given the same food, good or yeah. bad. And, uh, yeah, so we, we tended to bond with each other because of that. And right. I, I liked that experience. I wish my kids could have had that yeah. experience. Not go to war. Sure. But, I mean, I was fortunate to be in during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't do a lot other than, you right. know. Sure. Yeah. There you go. So at what point do you think you, because when I look at you now, I see a very like spiritual person. You've written this book that's about, called Thresholds, about breaking through and having these different experiences. And then of course you've had these experiences with your kids and always this interest in the brain, but do you think there was ever a shift for you into a new level of living? I guess I'm asking you, what is your threshold story? Uh, my threshold story in the book was not what is not really a threshold story. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't, and it is. Right. So it was a, my story really just surprised me. I was almost done editing the book when mm-hmm. I put my story in. And I had had a conversation with my dad. And remember, I didn't live with him from the time I was seven on until my senior year of high school. Um, We visited him in the summer. He lived in California. We always lived somewhere else, Mm -hmm. out of state. And so, and he had another family Mm -hmm. um, with two stepdaughters and and a son. And so they actually got to spend more time with him than we did. Mm. And so I think as a young girl... That always kind of maybe bothered me. Sure. Um, and so I was having a phone call with him, and he's raising his step-granddaughter. And I'm sorry, his step-great-granddaughter. Oh, wow. Um, so he's raising her. Like, he is in his 80s, and he has a, a 12-year-old at home. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, I was talking to him on the phone. And he didn't mean to say this, but it really triggered me. He said, sure. after talking about going to this Girl Scout dance or Girl Scout thing with, with her, mm-hmm. he said she's the daughter he'd always wanted. And wow. what my story did is my story helped me to understand where I was coming from mm-hmm. and understanding 
the things that I was still allowing in my life. And, and mm. logically, I knew that he didn't mean that, but it really right. hit something inside of me. And right. so my story actually shows the process that I went through mm. to get myself in a better place. Yeah. Um, and it was totally up to me to do it. He yeah. didn't do anything wrong. He didn't even hear what he was saying. Right. It, it was it one of those things wrong. that just... It's more that he didn't get to be with me when yeah. I was growing up. And he did, you know, and I was able to say to him on the phone, well, you know, it's nice now that you're retired, you're home a lot too. So yeah. even for those dads out there that are with their kids, it's really hard when you're trying to support your family to actually be really present with yep. your kids. Yeah. And so I had, I had to do my own work to get through that. Yeah. And that's what I wrote about. Yeah. Um, what did that work look like for you? Was it a process of self-discovery? Was... It was really quick. Okay. So immediately, it hurt me. Right. Understandably And I wanted so. someone else to know that I was hurt. Mm. And I called my sister because I knew that she would get it, yeah. you know? And then I hung up, and then I felt really guilty mm. for calling my sister because then she's going to feel the same thing mm. by his words, right? So I stopped, actually, in a Chick-fil-A parking lot, and I texted her, and I said, you know what? He didn't mean it. Yeah. You know? I know he loves us. And so I, I tried to fix that really quickly. Mm -hmm. And then I, um, yeah, I had to, to just make myself understand that immediately. Like, yeah. I don't allow myself to feel sorry for myself. Hmm. Um, I try to see the truth and I try to recognize the truth. Right. And my dad loves me. But it was really good to see how his words triggered something in me. Sometimes right. we that happens, and we don't even know there's something in there. Yeah. You know? Well, in someone, I mean, the people who love us the deepest can hurt us the deepest, right? Yes. Because you're giving them a certain power over you. Because when you let someone love you, that's a very vulnerable thing. Um, so I think that's perfectly understandable that mm -hmm. you know this person that you know loves you yeah. is going to can also say something really really difficult to hear yes yeah, yeah. and my brain took it out of context because right. my heart got involved yeah and there's this thing going around these days that you know if you're hurt if somebody hurts you it's on you and I disagree with that mm. um because if you have if you are in a relationship where there's a lot of love and you are very vulnerable in that right. relationship and you and there's a lot of trust in that relationship and the person that you trust does something to break that trust it's really really bad right it can hurt what you do have control over is your response yes and so it's not that if we hurt that's on us because that's we're human mm -hmm. you know we're going to feel things and yeah. that's okay how we respond to that and the way that we respond shows how healthy we've gotten you know, mm. and, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So you said you don't let yourself feel sorry for yourself. Tell me more about that. Does that kind of relate to this, you know, letting yourself feel, but then releasing that to focus on the response? What does that piece look like? So in understanding the brain, right. If, if I sit all day long and think, oh my God, I have a lump think I have cancer or I, I have all these problems mm -hmm. and I'm always imagining something our bodies will hear us because yeah. we when we are in that state 
we tend to, um, our bodies will produce negative hormones. It'll produce yeah. cortisol or hormones that actually put our body in a state of depression. It affects our immune system and the very things that we're afraid of happen to us. Mm. That self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, it's totally, and it's, it's, it's real. Yeah. And so in understanding that, I might have a day or two where I'm sad, and I'm like, okay, I'm sad. I know that I'll be okay tomorrow or the next day. Right. And I need to do these things to get there. Um, yeah. So we all have moments of sadness, and, and I don't think we have to be positive all the time because that's not normal. Right. Like I said, it's really feeling what we're going to feel and then saying, okay, how am I going to respond to this? Yeah. You know, am I going to sit and feel sorry for myself? Or am I going to say, you know what? I'm really fortunate to be in the situation that I'm in. I work with people in Liberia. I have been working with people in Liberia for the last couple of years because I was asked to write a book about ex-child soldiers. Mm -hmm. Um, And those people there that I communicate with live with dirt floors, Mm. sometimes mud huts. They have like metal walls. They have one room that's concrete on the inside. They they don't have kitchens. They don't have bathrooms. They don't have food often. And it really makes me look at my life every day. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. And so, which... Child, this, the plight of child soldiers has always been a huge um, kind of a heart thing for me. Mm. Uh, when I used to teach high school, I always incorporated it into my classes. Interesting. So if I was teaching an English class and we had to write um, persuasive, we did persuasive writing, I would have my students write persuasive letters to the United Nations for Red Hand Day, mm. which, which is about, it's in February, and it's about... Right. Um, enforcing the laws so that countries don't have child soldiers yeah you know and then through the invisible children organization i always did the annual projects with my students whether it's you know the kids don't have a voice when they're a child soldier and they're being drugged and they're being forced to do it right um, they don't have a voice so i had my students that and i I was so astounded at how many of them participated but none of us talked for 24 hours they told all their teachers ahead of time you know and um, so when this project came along, it was kind of cool because I'd always wanted yeah. to go to Uganda to help the kids that had gotten out of yeah. that situation. You know. Well, and I bet that, like you said, it just puts everything into perspective and the fortune that we do have to be in this life. And even yeah. I'm like the privilege to be able to think about these things and have the time and space mm-hmm. to be able to think about these things. It's like other people are thinking yes. about where, where's my next meal going to come from or worse how yeah. am I going to feed my children yeah you know and uh that's where it comes back to this daily gratitude you know yeah. it's just awareness yep absolutely absolutely so this journey of daily gratitude and awareness I'm I've done some studying into Buddhism and it sounds very Buddhist to me. Has that influenced any of your living or practices at all? Or is that more coincidence? You know, um, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church. Um, mainly because when my mom got pregnant at 16, Mm -hmm. she was kicked out of her church. 
Right. And because of that, she didn't raise us in the church. Mm. Um, and so when I went into the military, I think I got a little of it. So there were little like bits and pieces, seeds, you know, planted. Um, but I didn't pay much attention to it. Sure. I knew that sometimes when I went to church, I felt better. Yeah. And so I might go one time if a guy broke up with me or something. Right, you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was about me back then. Mm. Um, I didn't understand it. And then when my grandmother died, she was one of those people that sat and played her hymns on her piano every day. And none of her kids were Christians then. And, and she would try to tell everyone about it all the time. And right. so when she was dying, and she died at 58... She was in a hospital bed at home, and she was unconscious. And mm. everyone kept running and surrounding her bed every time we thought she had taken her last breath because she had been right. unconscious for over a week and hadn't died. Wow. And um, so her sister-in-law, who was married to a pastor, said, you know, she's really not wanting to die because she's worried she's not going to see you guys again. Mm. And so we all went into the room. I was like 20. I was in the Air Force then. And uh, we went into the room, and we, everyone in the room, probably 20 people, started telling her, we're going to go to church, you know, yeah. we're going to do that. And as soon as everyone said that, she opened her eyes and smiled and took one breath and died. Wow. So that had a big impact on me, but I still didn't. I sure. still didn't. You know, I went to Shumia, and I was focused on working and making money and going to college and doing my job. Yeah. And... Uh, so then I met my husband up there, mm -hmm. and we didn't get married right away. We moved back to Texas, and I was really hesitant to marry him because I wanted children, I think, more than I wanted to be a wife. Mm, and he didn't think he could have kids. Okay. And so in my innocence one day, I just prayed, God, if you give me a baby, I will raise that child to know you. Yeah. Two weeks later, after two years, I was pregnant. Wow. So when my oldest daughter was 10 days old, I took her to church. And I took my kids to church for 20 years. And, wow. Uh, I kept, I'm, really, it's, I'm, I'm really about keeping my commitments. Mm. Like, that's just who I am. If I sure. say something, like, I'm going to follow through. Right. And so I did that. And then I separated from my husband, uh, like, 13 years ago. So... When I, when I separated, mm -hmm. I was teaching high school, and I decided to quit and do what I really loved. And I wasn't sure how I was going to do that. So while I was waiting, I decided to go through yoga teacher training. Mm. And I got my 200-hour yoga teacher certification, but I wanted more. I really wanted to understand the spiritual side of it. Right. And so I went to um, a place in Dallas, and the, the owner and the teacher was from India, and I did my 500-hour certification through him. And I really under, I got to read the, the Vedas, mm -hmm. um, the Bhagavad Gita, mm -hmm. Upanishads. I, I really got to understand all of that more. And I also got to see this teacher and the example that he was. And everything that he talked about was almost identical to the Ten Commandments. Yep. And, and it really got me thinking and then I also, around the same time, I was a health coach at the time, mm -hmm. I was invited to go to Ecuador um, 
And we traveled for two weeks and delivered water filtration systems to indigenous people in the Amazon and in the Andes Mountains. And then we put on a conference at Cuenca University called Inspire. And when we went into the Andes Mountains in particular, and we went up this hill, and this was such a significant experience that I had like three or four people write about their experience on this mountain in my book. So... We had somebody with us from the State Department. They didn't have outsiders that often. Right. And we had to go up this mountain in these two buses. Not buses. They were just like 12-seater vans. Sure. And the road was so bad. It was just a dirt road. There were boulders. We would have to get off the vans to go around a boulder. I mean, this is the mountain that we were going up on. And it was just a dead cliff, a drop-off with nothing, no safety. And so we get to the top of this mountain... And we had no idea what was to come because we brought these water filtration systems Mm -hmm. and we were supposed to show them how to use them. And the river was 2,000 feet down the mountain. (laughs) We hadn't brought shoes, we hadn't brought water. So anyway, so we get up there though and we meet these very beautiful people who had prepared for us and they, they welcomed us with a homemade didgeridoo that they were playing and they were very different than the people in the Amazon who were very quiet mm-hmm. and, and conservative. And the women didn't talk. But the women, women in the Andes Mountains were, I mean, they played their music and they sang and they wanted us to dance with them. Mm-hmm. And they laid all their scarves on the ground in the dirt. And they brought their best guinea pig. And thank goodness I was a vegan then because everyone else on my team got sick. But I never ate the guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> but... um they were beautiful people. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself as I sat up on that mountain and climbed up that mountain. Right. That these people haven't had like visitors before. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that God met them on that mountain. He didn't need some Westerner to come yeah. and tell them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it really made God much bigger and much more powerful for me. Yep. Um, and then also because of my studies for mental health and the brain, sure. I really understand uh, vibration and frequencies mm. and that everything in our body operates on a frequency yep. and that God is, I mean, you manifest things through frequency and matter, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's how we, that's what I really believe. And so, yeah. My path these days is to just meditate and be still and really listen to God. I love that. I think that's really, really beautiful. Um, I think this idea that understanding another way of approaching meaning, how you're on the top of this mountain and these people, and you're like, this still feels like God, and it made it more expansive to you as opposed to I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe a restrictive or more um, guarded God. It's like this is now... It really made God bigger, not smaller. Yeah. And the power of the universe and creation, so much bigger. I mean, I knew when I had my children that this is not by accident. Yeah. You you can't have this little infant with the spirit. And this is just not by accident. It's mm-hmm. just all too perfect. Yeah. And I knew that. Um, but I'm also more inclusive than some people that I, you know, am around. And 
and I've actually been whitewater rafting with a lot of Buddhists before. Mm. Um, and that was an experience for me. I've been twice. The first time I wasn't quite sure um, what to think of the things that they were saying. Sure. And I did debate them a little bit, mm-hmm. I remember, because we had the circle time every day. Yeah. The second time I went, I think I had a better understanding of where they were coming from. Mm. Um, and it's, from what they told me, it's more about a philosophy mm-hmm. than a creator. It's mm. more about following a philosophy of of really love, which our God calls us to do, right? Yeah, that's in... We, we get rid of all of the technicalities and mm-hmm. all of the little divisiveness of yep. things and... Is that a word? Divisive? Yeah, yeah. It, it works. <laughs> we can make it one. And um, it's love God, love each other, right? Yeah, and, and let God work everything else out because we're not yeah. supposed to judge, right? Yep. So if we just leave it to Him and love people, I think that we'll get a lot farther. Yeah. Gosh, yes, 100%. And I think it's so interesting that you talked about how you can see kind of their way of life reflected in the Ten Commandments. And this, of course, Christianity is a more Western religion. and um, but, it, but yet there's still these reflections mm-hmm. between them. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like when you first noticed those um, similarities? Well, I mean, it was an ongoing process. It's like mm-hmm. you're not really sure when something started. But right. I know that when he was going to visit his mom in India, and he was about in his early 50s and she was in her 80s and he he talked about every time he saw her how much he would show her respect and honor mm. and he said every time I've seen my mom like I, when I've been away I kneel down and I kiss her feet mm. and I'm like and then then we when we went through the Bhagavad Gita mm-hmm. um, so much of it was in alignment with and then, you know, yeah. people don't understand om and amen are the same thing. Yes. Um, there's so much more. I know. that in my mind. We could talk about for and, hours. And from what I studied, Jesus went and studied mm-hmm. in India. And so there is a lot that... I, I like to look at what we have in common more than how we're different. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, the om and amen being similar is so powerful for me. That was one of the first things that I was like, wow, because mm-hmm. words just carry so much power. Yoga means yoke. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be yoked to God. Right? Yoga means yoke. You know, it's, I know that people have a lot of problems with yoga, and I know that there's some probably parts of yoga, and it's really not about the yoga itself it's about the people that pursue certain things sure that may not be with in alignment with right. a lot of people who are christians but it totally made my faith in god stronger yes when you say god now this is like a very metaphysical question but i mean i think we've gotten into that territory what now for you right now what does that look like for you when you say god how would you define that if you can define it and if you're like that is too much like <laughs> yeah it makes you more confused than ever not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah 
No, um, yeah, like I said, you know, God calls us to, to be still and listen. Mm. And, and really, it's not about God. It's about Christ and who Christ is. Mm. That makes a difference. And whether I'm, you know, what some would call a Christian or they might think I'm not. You right. Know. I, I, had, I met this guy in Costco one time. And I only met him because I had taken the rest of the frozen organic fruit. And I felt a little guilty when I saw him looking mm. in there. And I'm like, ah, I took it all. You want some? Yeah. And so we stood there. He took half my fruit. We let it all go to waste because we, we talked for an hour. Oh, my goodness. And he had studied with a Levite for 13 years. Oh, wow. And his perspective on the scriptures, um, because he knew Hebrew right. and Greek, um, were just mind-blowing for me and mm. I think it was meeting him along with being through the in the 500-hour yoga teacher certification program um, and we start having Bible studies and right. actually have a Hebrew Bible that has Hebrew and and he taught me about the Hebrew alphabet and mm. the different meanings that each letter of the alphabet right. has and the significance of it being associated with a sound and a picture mm-hmm. and the word um, took everything to a much deeper level yeah and I started to understand how layers the analogies in the bible to even our brain so we have the pineal gland mm-hmm. right that shape what I've been told and I've looked more like the tomb mm-hmm. and enlightenment comes and awareness of God comes when we when that pineal gland, which has everything that an eye has, right, as far as seeing, when that opens up, that's like the opening of the of the cave, yeah, and having truth, right. I don't know, but understanding those analogies. So mm. instead of just seeing this thing that happened over here, where Christ came out of the tomb and all that stuff, there's just so much more meaning for me in understanding mm. and learning about the Hebrew and understanding how it relates to us in our body yeah it it, there's so many more levels and layers to the meaning and one of those is certainly embodied right and how the language doesn't just mean something cognitively but physically when you read certain things you you have that physical reaction and if god spoke everything into being how strong are our words Mm. right in the beginning there was the word how much do we speak into being that's Mm -hmm. not good for us yeah well and like you said going back to what you said earlier we tell ourselves a lot of things and that turns into this our body listens to what we tell it right Mm -hmm. and that that self-fulfilling prophecy there On a physical level, mm-hmm. it literally changes your uh, changes your makeup. Makeup. I mean, yeah. something as simple. If you're in a really bad mood and you just force yourself to smile, mm-hmm. the upper well, the upward motion of your mouth moves the muscles in your face, sends a signal to your brain. Oh, she's happy, and floods your body with endorphins. So. Yep. It's, it's so simple. Right. And so if we sit around and we're upset and we're frowning all the time, our body's like, oh, she's unhappy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it really is so simple when you break it down to those things, right? That it's like, you've yeah, yep. So 
one word that you've used a lot, which I love this word, but I want to hear what you think about it, is truth. Um, earlier when you were talking about your dad, you said that you like to look for truth and understand what that truth was behind mm-hmm. what he was saying. Talking about, you know, God and these questions, you've talked about understanding what that truth is beyond certain things. What is truth to you? Do you think there's a capital T truth, a lower T truth? Do you think they're the same, the different? I think truth is very gray. It's mm. in the gray, you know, because mm-hmm. my truth might be different from my dad's truth. Right. And we all bring a different background and different experiences and different trauma mm-hmm. and everything to a situation. I mean, it's true right now that it's, you know, 1253. Right. But it's not true in another country that mm-hmm. it's 1253, right? And so we all have different lives and different truths. So mm-hmm. maybe it's a, a it's a small T for sure. Yeah. It's not a capital because it's not black and white. Right. Um, I think telling myself the truth when I said that, it's not letting myself emanate mm. and telling myself a lie to where I just get more upset. Yeah. I can rationally say, okay, this hurt my heart that he said this. How many times has he shown you that he loves you? Mm. You know? So then you have to say, why would he say this? And did he even, re- he never realized he said it. Right. It just came out in a, in a weird way. Yeah. And, but it did really connect with me because I wasn't always with him. Right. And so it really kind of touched on that hurt that I hadn't, you know, yeah. experienced before. And so I think the title of my chapter was Wide Open. Mm. And so being wide open to it being the best case scenario and and learning from it is better than um, closing the door to him. And so many people do that in relationships. They get hurt and then they close the door. And that that shuts down all growth and Mm. love, actually, that can happen. Yeah, absolutely. So... I I think that that certainly resonates with me that... Actually, it was wide open. I don't even know the title to my own chapter. (laughs) I love it. It was wide open, meaning I'm here to... Going forward, whatever experiences we can have together... Bring it on. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So do you think that a capital... That is there any universal truth? Because I agree that there are truths that are mm-hmm. subjective. We all have our own truth and that there are different ways to explore these different things. Yeah. Do you think that there is any universal overarching potentially capital T truth? Or If I were to say that there is, it's because all of us want love, acceptance, mm. and validation and food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, all of us want the same things. I think that we all respond to the th- same things. And I think that's really the only truth. And mm. if we can see each other through that lens and understand that, I mean, of course there's exceptions. You know? Right. Of course there's... Always. But even the people that harm other people, it's because they've they've taken those words and they've Mm. let those words grow inside of them and become overwhelming and they're unable to see past them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Thank you so, so much for your time and generosity of spirit and energy. This was just not just really rewarding for me personally to be able to chat with you about this, but I'm so excited to put it out there for other people to listen to it. Um, my last question, well, I have a couple of last questions, but is there anything else that we didn't get to that we didn't talk about that's kind of in this realm that you're like, that you would be remiss if we didn't touch on? Hmm. And there doesn't have to be, but I just want to open this space so that if there's something that you're like, it's important to me to get this out there, we can no, chat No, but I did it. read a quote this morning that I actually wrote down because I wanted to share it. Oh my gosh, please do. I, I love it was, that. It's not really a quote. It's just somebody said it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, so I'm quoting somebody else. Yes. And it's a psychologist, a Dr. John. It's B-E-A-U-L-I-E-U, Baloo who is also a musician, a practitioner of naturopathic medicine. Mm. Um, And he proposes that trees, plants, rocks, and people are all music that has taken on visible form. And I just thought that was so beautiful. That is really beautiful. (laughs) So what song are you, Reese? Oh my goodness, (laughs) what a good question. I love that because music, well, and then talking about frequency as well. It's like, because I agree, we're all atoms right scientifically Mm -hmm. vibrated a certain frequency and none of us are purely physical we're all frequency that's been condensed so i think that's actually that makes a lot of sense to me if i was a song i think the first one that came to mind was landslide by fleetwood mac Mm -hmm. such a powerful song for me a really recent one is matilda by harry styles on his new album (laughs) it's a great song um but then also I think of Daughters by John Mayer because it makes me think of my parents and um, everything that they've done for me. So those would be my three. What about you? I want to know what song you think you would be. Yeah, I I didn't even think about it. (laughs) It's a hard question. Do you know what? I I listen to a lot of 528 Hertz music. Oh, okay, yeah. um, Because that frequency is really good for your body. It's the healing frequency. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I've been told the frequency of chlorophyll, the frequency mm-hmm. of the sun. And so conversely, I, I can, I'm concerned that a lot of the really screaming music has a really negative effect on, mm-hmm. on your body. And, and so anyway, something to think yeah, about. Yeah, right. That's what I listen to a lot of. And then I that's also so like interesting. Uh, bossa nova music. So. Oh, that's fun. I like that. Yeah. Something you can dance to. Something you can dance to. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So my final, final question to close us out in this, I've been told that this is actually like one of the harder questions, which I think is interesting, but thinking about language and words mm-hmm. and how that carries meaning and all these things, I would love just to close out our session one word about how you're feeling right now. And it doesn't have to be complex or anything, just whatever word comes to mind. I think just peaceful, you know, peaceful and present with you. And uh, so two P words. Yeah, I love that. That's <laughs> okay. beautiful. Well, thank you for being present with me and sharing your piece. This was so lovely. And I'm just so grateful for you and that you're one of my mom's dearest friends. Like that just makes me so happy. (laughs) And that now I get to have you in my life because of that. So thank you for your time. I really, thank you for making me think about these things again. (laughs) We all need to think about these things. We do, right? I agree. Thank you, Robin. 
you all so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Podington Bear for making Meanings theme music. And if you want more of Robin, check out her book, Thresholds. If you want more info about today's episode, head to thecoherecollective.com and click on blog. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can subscribe to our newsletter on thecoherecollective.com so you never miss another episode or update. To stay up to date on all of our stuff, follow us on Instagram at The Cohere Collective, and you can follow me on Instagram at Lillian Reese Brown. If you feel so inclined, feel free to leave an honest review or rating. It helps me reach the people who will resonate with my content and hopefully reach my goal of making the world a better place. Sharing the pod is also a great way to start conversations with important people in your life. Right now, I'm feeling silly and happy. One of my roommates just got home with some beautiful red tulips that really brightens up our house. So that was a fun little surprise. Thank you all for being here. And I hope you feel like you're living more coherently. Catch y'all next time. Love.